You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. Grab a Bible. Turn to James chapter 3. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And we're going to continue in our series uh, through the book of James, which we have titled Our Faith in Action. Uh, As a church, we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and uh, understand Him, know Him, uh, and the Word we believe, the Bible, uh, is a testament to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we want to come to it and hear from God and learn about our Savior. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. You can turn to page 1072 and follow along with us. And uh, as we start this this morning, this week, uh, Ash and I were just talking about how much our son Graham, he's, uh, he'll be two and a half in the summer, how much he's talking. Uh, he's uh, at least gibbering a lot, and he, he likes to tell us. And if we're not paying attention, he likes to make sure that, hey, are you paying attention to me? And I'm going to talk to you until you pay attention to me. And so he's always talking and he at some level uh is struggling to be quiet and so i'm sure as a as a boy he's going to continue that for a while but he is learning to talk in many different ways and learning many different words and saying thank you and uh daddy come help or things like that and so it's it's cute but it's a lot of words did you know that uh most of our lives the average person will speak one-fifth of their lifetime one-fifth of our lives is talking And that most people, if you were to take your words and you were to put them in a book, most people could write a 50-page book a day. 50-page book a day. Now, some people, that means, would write over 250 books a year. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't talk that much. Some of you say, well, you know, I I probably couldn't do that. But some of you might would fill a whole library, and we know, uh, and and that's okay. Uh, We love you anyways. But we all talk, and this is something that the Lord has given us a mouth and a tongue, Uh, to use, but we spend a lot of time talking, and that could be done in some really good ways, it could be done in some really damaging ways as well, and so as we start here in chapter 3, here's what we're going to see this morning in the text, James warns his readers of the tongue's power to bless or curse others, and as James, he, he makes this transition now, and he's going to speak very practically to us. So if you're a disciple today, if you call the name of Jesus, which as a church we talk about growing in maturity in our faith, how we use our words matter. And as a Christian who wants to walk faithfully with, uh, with Jesus, this is what we need to know today. Disciples must learn to use their words wisely to display true faith. Our faith comes out of us. What we believe about God, this world, and other people comes out of us. If we're going to demonstrate true and saving faith, then we must learn to use our words wisely. Now James, he introduced this idea to us in chapter 1. He said in chapter 1 verse 19, he said, be slow to speak, but quick to listen. What James means here is, he says, slow down, Be in molasses to speak, but be quick, hurry, speed up to listen. 
I heard uh, or I read this week about, think about it this way. Uh, God has given the tongue two sets of jail bars. Your teeth and your lips. There's two things preventing your tongue from speaking. So we must come to the text today. James warns us. And it's a most practical warning that we may find in this book, but it's one that we all can identify with as we struggle to keep our words in check. And so James, as he makes this transition, he's, talking, he's about to talk about wisdom in the life of the community in the context of living out the gospel with other believers. And he's concerned with what is actually disturbing the community of God. What is going on? What are the rifts causing disruption or division or hurt or pain in the community? It's been said this way that words are works. And so on the hills of last week, those who have true and saving faith will demonstrate that faith through how they use their words. An invitation into God's family means there is a design on how we should treat one another, speak to one another, love one another. And so as we walk through this text this morning, we see how we must learn how to use our tongues wisely. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to ask this question. Why must we learn to use our tongues wisely? There are two things this morning. Two truths that as we walk through the text, it's not going to be, uh, it's going to, we're going to walk through it a couple of times to, to see there are these two overarching truths that James is trying to give to us. And that first one is words are dangerously powerful. Words are dangerously powerful. Look there at verse 1. James says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Our faith is something that's handed down to others. Right? Paul says to teach faithful men who will teach others also. And so our faith is handed down by words. We have a message of words. And we must be careful in how we hand the, that faith down. James gives a general warning to those who desire to be teachers. Teaching is a privilege. Teaching is a responsibility to those who are going to hear you. Teaching is not something we should do flippantly. Now, don't think of teachers uh, as pastors or elders. That's not what James is saying. Remember, this was in the early parts of Christianity. This is probably the first letter written to the churches. And so there was no office of, of pastor or even deacon, potentially. And this would have looked like more like the, the Jewish tradition in their culture and how they would have uh, lifted up teachers, those who would have expounded God's Word, most likely the Old Testament. And this, the teacher was a very distinguished role within the body, even early in the church. It's also an opportunity for those who are teaching to sin more easily with their words. And so those who aspire to teach must understand the responsibility that it is much easier to sin when you stand in front of others and speak. Offer wisdom, advice, and truth. But those who are hearing, maybe say, well, I don't aspire to teach. Well, that's fine. But the, if you're, you listen to others daily, and we must be careful who we listen to. We must be careful who we listen to. Why? 
why is this responsibility of teaching so heavy? And why should we be careful to listen to those that are placed in front of us? Because we, all believers, know that there's a stricter judgment for those who teach. Now this judgment isn't negative. It's not that we're going to uh, have a stricter penalty, but it is a more of a responsibility. There is a judgment for those who teach. Teachers will give an account for what they say and how they say it. Right? Think about it. A teacher's word can lead others to sin. Right? Be careful in giving advice. We currently live in an age of experts. If you get on social media right now, you can find probably 15 experts within three minutes of scrolling down your Facebook page or Twitter account or Instagram. Right? Everybody thinks they're an expert, and we're not. And so James is very clear. Be careful to not make yourself an expert in things that you think you know, but you actually don't. This is a warning for us. Be careful to step into that role. And social media has opened up the door for us to, to actually just say what we want to and have no repercussions. Be careful, James says. And James is concerned about those who are desiring to become teachers because of a general principle. Look there at verse 2. He says, we all stumble. That is, that we are all defeated by sin in many ways, right? Many different ways. Not just, uh, he says, a variety of ways. Not just uh, the, the amount of sin, but the kinds of sins. And we may even stumble without meaning to. Without intent. And James is concerned about this power of the tongue for the teacher, but now also for the community. So he goes from a, a, a warning to the specific now to go to a warning to the general, to the, those who hear God's Word. And he's concerned about the power of the tongue and the power of our words, and he picks up on this same idea that runs throughout the Proverbs. It's going to be on the screen for you. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But what have we taught our kids to do? Right? Well, we, we've heard these statements. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? We've heard that statement. We tell our kids, hey, those, those words, they're just going to bounce right off of you. But whoever wrote that was deaf because they don't understand how words can sting and cause deep pain. I, I'm sure, I'm standing up here, I, I'm sure all of us in the room can come to say, I have been hurt by the words of others. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not good enough. It's, not, it's, not a, it's a great poem, but it's not true, is it? We all know that the words of other people can cut really deeply. And James understands this. Is this really how we arm our kids to walk in the world? That we say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Instead, we should talk to our kids about how to use their words we should talk about how we can encourage others kids suicide if you don't believe that uh that the power of life and death is in the tongue you should go look at the stats for teens suicide based on bullying based on bullying and we'll see that that the words that others use whether in person or online is a real issue if you don't believe that the power of life and death doesn't rest in our words, then just go look at those stats. 
James believes it. God's Word says it. So we need to take this seriously. But if you still don't believe James, he anticipates your objection. He gives you three examples, three illustrations. Look there at verse 3. Now if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they will obey us, we will direct their whole bodies. Uh, this image is of a, of a normal horse, 600 to 800 pounds on, on the larger side. And if we put a bit into its mouth, you can control that horse. My wife uh, was more regularly in horseback riding as we were dating. And if you could think about my wife, as small as she is, getting up on a 600-pound horse and directing it. Right? There's, there, that little bit can give her the power to cause that horse to go anywhere it needs to go. We were actually uh, at the beach. We had gone to a, an island that had some, uh, some wild horses. And my father-in-law was going up to pet one, and that wasn't smart. And uh, he got close, and that thing bucked at him, and it didn't connect. But if it would have, it probably would have, would have broken some ribs. Right, that's how powerful a horse is. But if you put a bit into its mouth, even the smallest of people, even children in the room, can control that horse, can't they? That's how powerful that small bit is. That's how powerful the tongue is. The second illustration, verse 4, And consider ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. Think about how big a ship can be. I don't know if you've been on a cruise ship. I haven't, but I've seen a cruise ship. They're massive. They're huge. At the end of the day, yes, they have engines, but they, that is, they are moved by the rudder. And at the end of the day, where the pilot wants them to go. And he makes a statement here in verse 5. So too, though the tongue is small, it's a small part of the body. It boasts great things. James takes a moment to interrupt in his three illustrations to make his point clear. The tongue is very powerful. Bits, rudders, they can control large things, strong things. But how much more can the tongue do? James seems to be saying that the tongue has the power to determine someone's destiny. We can either control our tongues or we can be controlled by our tongues. James, he lists his final illustration. He says, consider a small fire. How it sets ablaze a large forest. Now, in the Middle East, where this would have been written, there weren't forests like we think of the Amazon, but there would have been bushes out in particular parts of the desert. And those would have caught on fire. Continuing verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. With this illustration, James portrays the destructive nature and destructive power of the tongue. The smallest words can destroy others and even warns of the uncontrollable nature as a fire as it gets loose in a forest. It's like a raging fire that you cannot control. At the end of the day, there are dangerous consequences to us not controlling our tongues. If we let our tongues loose, they will burn like wildfire. For example, we all know that if a rumor spreads, you can never get it back. If gossip spreads, you can never get it back. And it will spread like wildfire and you will never be able to catch up to it. You will never be able to catch up to the information. We live in an age of constant information and we cannot keep up. 
We cannot keep up. And James goes on to describe the tongue's potential danger as a world of unrighteousness. What does he mean by that? He details the destructive power of the tongue, but he also points to us that the, the tongue represents our sinful nature. That it can, it can actually be the embodiment of our sin. And it can continue to defile us. Not what goes in, not what we eat, Jesus, not what goes into our mouths, but what comes out of it can defile us. No other part of our body can wreak havoc on a godly life than our tongues, can it? No other part. James says it stains us, it corrupts us. And what's the natural course of a tongue that's uncontrolled? James said it's set on fire and set on fire by hell. The natural outworking of a destructive mouth is ultimately to be burned up by hell. Why? Because that's where the father of lies is. That's where his destiny is. That's where he is confined to. Because in this, this is just a natural outworking of a tongue that's not controlled. That it will be burned up by hell. It will be judged. I want you to think about the immense potential that the tongue has. Think about the greatest movements in history. How do they start? With rhetoric. With words. Some of the most horrific things in history have started this way. Atrocities. Hurtful things. Think of today. Think of abortion. What's the, what's the rhetoric? It's not a baby. It's just a clump of cells. It's not a baby. It's a woman's body. It's not a baby. That's a woman's choice. Right? It's not, a, it's not a baby anymore. It's an it. You can do anything you want to to an it, right? Once we, once we dehumanize it, then there's anything we can do. It doesn't matter anymore. Words matter. Words matter in how we talk about things. Our words matter deeply. You can redefine reality at some level by the words you use. And that we've experienced this in our own culture. We've experienced what it looks like to use words to create extreme damage in our lives or in the lives of others. And James, he continues in this vein of thinking how dangerously powerful the tongue is. He says, every kind of animal in verse 7, every bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James explains that since the tongue is powerful, then it's difficult to control. James uses an example from the Bible. He's pulling from Genesis chapter 1, particularly in verse 28, to sum up the entire animal kingdom, these four different kinds of animals. And he says that they've been tamed. We've domesticated them. We've built farms and roads and cities. But in deep sarcasm, you can tame all of that but you cannot tame your tongue. You can tame lions and bears. You can build homes and roads, but no one can control their tongue. So should we give up? So should we just say, ah, don't worry about it? No, of course not. Of course not. If we want to learn to use our words wisely, we must consider what our words say about our spiritual 
condition, our spiritual process, and what our faith actually is. And is our faith changing us? So not only is this truth that words are dangerously powerful, also words demonstrate our progress. This is the second truth this morning. Words demonstrate our progress. Look back at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. James explains that maturity is demonstrated by controlling our words. He says that if anyone, that's anyone in the community of God, in the church, God's family, does not stumble in their words they use, this would include uh, anything they speak, their tone, their uh, being slow to speak, they are mature if they can control that. Some of your translations may say perfect. He is perfect. James says that a disciple is mature. They are complete. They are whole. They are consistent when they are controlling their tongues. That is, keeping our mouths in check. Do you see the connection between faith and words this morning? That our words show if we're actually growing in the gospel. Remember that the tongue, our words, can control the whole body. Meaning not just our physical actions, but also our moral actions, what we say and our expectations. And at the end of the day, words impact and display our spiritual condition. How we use our words that displays uh, what we really believe. Alright, look at verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we bless our Lord and our Father and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. What we believe about other people will come out of our mouths. The power of the tongue can be used for two different things. To bless or curse. What we believe about God and what we believe about others is going to boil up in us. First, James says that the tongue can be used to hurt others. As we started this morning, we can all identify we've, we've been hurt by words before. Look at how James describes the negative potential. He calls it deadly poison. When we do not have our words under control, we spout off remarks that feel like poison to those who hear them. These words are used to curse. That is to call for no blessing, to consign them to hell, to condemn them. They can, you can use them to curse someone. This poison, it burns like acid. It burns the person down to the ground. It eats at our hearts if we're not careful. Think about the jokes that we tell. The things that we say in those jokes just to get a laugh. Be very careful. Right? We, we tear down others for, for a multitude of reasons. Maybe, you, maybe it's as simple as, maybe you, maybe you won't say those things, but maybe it's as simple as, I'm not going to celebrate what you, what you enjoy. Hey, I got a great promotion. I don't know. You're not going to have a whole lot of time. I'm not sure you should do that. Or, you know, someone gets a, a new truck. Ah, brother, I don't know. That, was that a wise purchase? 
right? Instead of maybe just come out outright saying it and actually speaking poison, you're like, I'm just not going to celebrate with you. I'm not going to let you have that victory. I'm not going to let you enjoy a good gift or, or a good job. Right, so how are the ways that we use these negative words? How do we use these words to tear down others? We've all done it. If I asked you to raise your hand this morning, we would all feel more comfortable because we all are sitting here thinking, yeah, I've done that before. In an argument with your spouse, in an argument with your kids, in an argument with a coworker about somebody else, we've all done this. Secondly, though, words can be used to, to build them up. They don't, we don't have to tear others down. Proverbs 12, 18 is going to be on the screen for you. There's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Right? The, the tongue can, can hurt others, but it also is like a bomb to the soul. It actually heals. If we spread our words on, over other people, it can help build them up. It can be a, a healing agent to our souls. We can celebrate them, their successes, their family, their life, what God is doing in them. We can lift others up in kindness and peace and hope. May we speak the gospel to one another. As a church family, this is the greatest thing that we can do for one another. That we can sell each other. You are loved more deeply than you could ever understand. Yes, you're more sinful, but more loved than you could ever understand. And this God who loves you so much sent His own Son to die for us in our place, take the wrath of God, be, be crucified, and then be buried in the tomb for three days. But He was raised three days later. We can lift each other up by speaking the Gospel that we have a Savior who reigns on the throne. The songs that we just sing, which by the way, it's so beautiful to, hear, to stand up here and listen to you sing. It's so encouraging. And you not only are praising God, but you're also encouraging each other to sing. The louder you sing encourages the softer voices in the room to sing louder. To speak the truth that we have a King who is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is what we're able to do. Encourage one another. But also, what this means is we've got to speak the truth. Not, holding, not speaking the truth is not kind. It's not well-meaning. But the question we have to ask today is, do we have deep enough friendships to hear the truth? To speak it and then hear it. Do we have enough of a friendship to receive it? We call this invitation and challenge. It's not just that you should just walk up to somebody and challenge them if you have, as if you have no relationship with them. But it's that you are invited into their lives both ways and then you can say, hey, I see you stumbling here. How can I help you in that? We also need to encourage one another. I don't think there's a person in the room that would raise their hand and say, I don't need more encouragement today. I got plenty of it. None of us in the room would say that, would we? Most of us say, yeah, can, can, I, can I like get a text message every day? Can I get a phone call? Can, hey, can someone write it on my car? Like, I need more encouragement, right? That's pretty normal for us. That we need these words of encouragement. And I think it's a good point for us, a good, a good time for us to examine our words. How do you speak? How do we speak to our spouses? Husbands, do you lift up your wife? Do you encourage her? Do you tell her you love her? Wives, do you, 
Do you use your words to show that you care for your husband and your home and respect him and love him? Or do we find opportunities to cut down? In that argument that really doesn't matter, that expectation that wasn't met, instead, can we use our words to build up? Parents, how do you speak to your kids? If you lose control of your mouth, what good and right do you have to hold your kids accountable to the same standard? That'll sit really deep, won't it? It's hard. It's hard. Uh, this week is uh, just, uh, it was a long week doing different things, and um, Ashley was, was tired, and Graham just wanted her. And I can just remember, which I you know, was able to grab him, hold him, but I can remember in that moment just wanting to snatch him up. You know, I, I felt that in me. How do you speak to your children? How do you, how do you start the day? How do you end the day? How do you love them and build them up to be who God has created them to be? The kids, how do you speak to your parents today? This week, have you responded respectfully? Have you done what they've asked? Have you listened to them? This is right for us to hear this. Kids, teens, if you are a believer, these words are for you too. You're called to hear God's word and respond. This is a simple way that you can do that today. How do you speak to your parents when they ask you to do something? How do you care for them when they have been providing for you in different ways? It's a great opportunity for you this week to take some time and think about how do I use my words? How do I use my words? The question though is how do we control the tongue? These are all great things, but are we just to, just to like, hey, we just got to do better, be better? No. We just have to memorize the right things to say? No. We must go deeper than our mouths and get into our hearts. Luke 6, 45 says this. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Our words are so powerful because they flow from our very being, from the core of who we are, from our hearts. They're not just fading words, but statements that we believe. The words we use reveal what is really going on inside of us. If we're going to control our tongues, we must evaluate our hearts. We must evaluate how our faith is growing and maturing us. How do you do that? Take an inventory of your heart. Take an inventory of your heart and how it's being used to speak to others. Do you blow up in anger? Does it come out of you? I'm not really an angry person, but is, do, do moments during the week, the month, the year, you just lose it, you snap. That's inside of you. Whatever, whatever that small thing was, it's what's coming out, and that means you have an angry heart. That's what that means. Do you shut down because of stress? You don't want to talk about it anymore. Just shut down. I'm not going to talk. And it builds and erodes. Do you question others out of anxiety and fear? Do you question your spouse? Do you question your kids? Do you, why? Do you, do you have to have the control? Are you worried about that? 
Do you always have to one-up someone else because of insecurity? These are hard questions. Hard questions. That person that, that has, you know, the new best thing, hey, I got to go see Carolina beat Duke last week. Awesome. I got to come back around. Well, you know, Carolina and Duke got beat this week. Well, that's probably good for both of us, right? But they have one thing to say. You can't let that person just enjoy something. Because you have to one-up them. You have the better job, the better resume. You constantly have to put that before people. I heard Matt Chandler say this. And he said that this is a great gift to us. What's a great gift? That our hearts display what's really going on. Right? Our words tell us how we really feel and how what we really believe. So if it's a great gift because we can see what we're saying and we can evaluate and say, what's going on inside of me? We don't have to wonder what's going on in our hearts because we can look at our words and we can say, why am I saying that? What is going on with me? Why is this coming out of my heart? But again, this is where the gospel comes in. Right? We don't just come to this and, hey, we're just going to do better. No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that makes no sense to the world. But it's the power of God for salvation, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. It may seem ridiculous. It may seem foolish. But you will never be able to learn, memorize, or control your tongue outside of the gospel. Please do not rationalize this. Well, you know, I'm not really an angry person. I'm not really stressed out. I'm not really anxious. Don't do that today, this afternoon, or this week. Come to the gospel. We must let the gospel wash over us. Dig deep into our hearts and begin to change it. When I started this letter, I told you that James wants to build a foundation of true and saving faith. And that Jesus is going to construct in our hearts a house, a beautiful house that represents faith and life. But that takes a lot of work. And Jesus is coming in and He's knocking down walls. Right? He's, he's ripping up the subfloor. That's what James says. As a good pastor, that's what he's doing for us today. We must let the gospel remodel our hearts so that we demonstrate life and beauty and transformation from the God who gave His own life for us. So that the words we speak will reflect life, love, and hope. You can't control your, your tongue. You need a different pilot. Your tongue may be the rudder, but you need a different pilot. You need Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You need a new flame. You need the flame of the gospel. You need a different rudder. You need a whole new ship. You need the gospel. You cannot leave today thinking, well, I'm just going to do better. But you, that'll maybe will last for a few weeks. But we'll be back in the same spot we're in today. We must let the gospel come into our hearts and build something new for us. But look there at verse 10. Blessings and cursings come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. James ends his paragraph with the, the standard of God's community. This cannot happen in God's church. 
He says these things should not be this way. God's family should not be people who speak to each other and cut each other down. Instead, we should be people of blessing. We are supposed to be different. We are supposed to demonstrate the faith that we have. Again, Jesus is the standard. We sang about this morning, though He was beaten, mocked, and scorned, He did not revile. And He had every opportunity and, and every right to, but He did not. Jesus is the standard and also the source of our power. The Gospel accounts not only detail Christ's death and resurrection, but details His obedient life. Not only is He the standard, He's, he's the standard that God gives you if you accept the Gospel. That you can live exactly like Jesus did because now you are in Christ. You have union with Him. Jesus empowers us to live this way. He empowers us to control our tongues. And to get His point across one final time, James uses three more illustrations. But three absurd ones at that. Look there at verse 11. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. James explains that the heart of a wise person, the person who has the gospel, who has been, been transformed by it, speaks consistently. Right? They are the same person, the faith inside them has made them whole. We can try to produce all the fruit we want, but the gospel must do the work in us and through us. And it, it is what will make our speech match our hearts. Are you the same person? Do you speak the same way here and in public than you do at home? Are you the same person? That's what James is getting at here. You can't say, you can't be one thing and another somewhere else. And again, we can't just, just do it on our own. It would be like an, buying an apple tree, planting it in your backyard, and be like, you know what? I don't want apples anymore. I want oranges. I'm going to staple oranges to that tree, and I'll have an apple tree. How good is that? It's not anything. It may look good for an hour, but at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, those oranges, because they've already been plucked off another source, they're going to be rotting on your tree. That's what it means for us to go to other things to try to do it on our own. We can try to produce fruit, but at the end of the day, it's going to be dead and lifeless, and it's going to rot if we do not let the fruit of the gospel come in and out of our hearts. We must wholly trust in Jesus' name for His righteousness, for His words. The words that produce life. The words that change us. Why? Why must we let the gospel take root and produce real and tangible fruit? Because our words are powerful. And they can cause a lot of damage. But if we have the wisdom of the gospel, we can learn how to use our words to lift others up, to encourage each other. And as we grow in our faith, may our words display that we have a beautiful, beautiful gospel. Will you pray with me? God, I ask today that what a convicting passage from my own heart this week, I pray that as we hear Your Word that we will respond to it. 
May we not think we can just do better, say better, think better. We need the gospel to help us, Lord. Jesus, we're so thankful that you give us the right example, the true example, and the power, the power to speak words of life. Will you help us do that today? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.